0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep, and more. After you had your baby, did you get a pelvic floor checkup? I know I didn't, and yet I have learned through many interviews that having this checkup post-birth can help a lot of women. Amy Dawes is the CEO of the Australasian Birth Trauma Association and she started a petition to the government to provide postnatal pelvic
1: health support to all birthing women. Amy joins us now. Hi Amy, how are you? Hi Siobhan, thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about
0: pelvic floor health or rather when it's not great, how widespread is the problem of poor pelvic health after birth?
1: um well that's that's a really uh interesting question because we believe that lots of women won't actually seek help, so they may think that it's normal after having a baby. Uh, perhaps they've sought help because they don't feel like something's right, but they may be dismissed by their care provider and told that what they're experiencing is normal. So it's really hard to have a definitive number. What we do know is that 50% of women that deliver a baby will experience some kind of pelvic organ prolapse at one point in their lifetimes. Now, back in the day, it was attributed to being something that affects um, menopausal women or postmenopausal women, but we actually support women that have experienced prolapse in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. We also, um, if we talk statistically, our research suggests that 10 to 20% of first-time mothers will experience significant physical trauma after childbirth. So that could be pelvic floor muscle trauma, or that could be um, an anal sphincter tear.
0: Now, um, it doesn't
1: take much imagination to work out how that can
0: impact your life. But Mm. can you talk us through the kinds of injuries women are living with, like how it is impacting on their lives?
1: Yeah, um, well, I've got first-hand experience of this myself. I sustained a third degree tear um, after the birth of my first daughter. And what I didn't know at the time is that I also experienced something called a bilateral levator avulsion, which is where my pelvic floor muscle was actually detached from the bone. Um, so mine's quite a... Um, uh, extreme case of something that can happen, and sorry, put a disclaimer in here. This this could be potentially trigger- triggering for, for some of your listeners. I think it's also important to mention that whilst I wasn't diagnosed and I did go on to prolapse, I do have really great care under two pelvic health physiotherapists now. So my symptoms at the time from the third degree tear was fecal incontinence, which fortunately for me improved over time. It has subsequently got worse after the birth of my second child, and it does have to be meticulously managed. But for many women, faecal incontinence is a reality that they're dealing with every day. So it means that they may not be able to leave the house until they've actually had a bowel motion. It could mean that they are unable to hold their wind. And so frequently feel embarrassed for uh making noises that are really beyond their control uh for other women it could be more impacted with the with prolapse or um incontinence so um the prolapse for those that don't know is we have our pelvic floor muscles i'm not i'm not a health professional just disclaimer here so i'll do my best to explain Um, But um, we've got uh, our pelvic floor muscle, which holds our pelvic organs in place, which is the, the bladder, the bowel and the uterus. And if you've got pelvic floor muscle overstretching or damage like I sustained, those pelvic organs can either fall into the vaginal cavity or outside of the vaginal cavity. So those organs effectively don't sit where they're supposed to. And like you say, I don't think it takes a leap of imagination to imagine the psychological impact of not having your organs sit where they're supposed to be. I mean, It's hard to move on from it effectively in your head when you're actually feeling the physical symptoms every day. Um, You mentioned
0: before that it's hard to tell how widespread the problem is, even though you've got statistics that suggest it's very wide. Um, Mm. And part of the reason you don't know how wide it is is because um, not all women are asking for help. Mm. Why do you think it is that women aren't getting the help they need?
1: I think there's, there's probably a number of reasons. I mean, again, sort of relating to my own personal experience. So I had my first child six years ago, and then I was diagnosed 16 months later with my pelvic floor muscle trauma. And um, I remember actually getting home from my physiotherapy appointment and Googling physical birth trauma and nothing coming up. So I felt like I was very much alone. I must be the only one. I felt really isolated I felt like I couldn't speak about it and back then I don't think people were really talking about pelvic floor muscles in fact it's funny when you well I don't know is it funny or not but when I I remember um, on my Instagram I would do like hashtag pelvic floor muscle dysfunction and nothing would come up and now when you hashtag it four years later there's you know hundreds and thousands of people so we are talking about it a lot more but I think there's a you've got to think about it it's your vagina there's a lot of shame attached to your body functions right if you're walking around worried that you smell like we or you know you can understand there's um yeah a certain level of embarrassment and shame and and that's that's a barrier to seeking help but additionally to that I think the onus as well should be on our care providers. So typically, when you go, I mean, Siobhan, you'd know this, you go, you go to your six week GP check, and you want to get the all all clear for exercise, they don't actually ask you how they're, how you're feeling physically, they might say, "Mm, are you on contraception, and you point to the baby, and that's the best, you know, that's the (laughs) contraception right there. But do you know what I mean? But they don't actually say, you know, how are you feeling physically, they're not checking your ab separation, they're certainly not Checking your pelvic floor muscle. And so there's no, there's really no conversations about arguably one of the most crucial components to a vaginal birth, which is your pelvic floor. But there's not actually any conversation about that. And that's why it's so important that we actually get pelvic health physiotherapists involved in maternity care. Um, which I guess when
0: I talk about this, I, I agree with you. I know that six years ago, people weren't talking about these things so much. I certainly didn't get a pelvic health check after my babies. And Mm. yet, as you say, it's such a glaringly obvious thing that women need. Mm.
1: Do
0: you have any thoughts on why it hasn't been included before now? I mean, it's one thing to say that women... Um, are experiencing these injuries and might be embarrassed to ask for help. But surely Mm. there are gynecologists and obstetricians and people like that who are seeing these injuries or have seen these injuries. Mm. Why do you think we haven't had it as part of that support in the past?
1: Yeah, that is a complex question with a complex answer. I mean, I can't definitively say why all I can say is if I look at the UK for example where you may be able to tell I'm from we in Australia are about 10 years ahead of diagnosing pelvic floor muscle damage for example but we are still very much behind there is still a, a very much a lack of awareness like we when we talk about birth outcomes pelvic floor muscle damage isn't even on the radar right now we do talk that we're definitely capturing tearing such uh, anal sphincter tearing so we know for example australia has some of the highest rates of third and fourth degree tears in the world but for birthing women you kind of go into childbirth thinking oh i don't want to tear but you actually don't know what the lifestyle consequences may be of these tears and that is a that is a major gap in in how we are caring for birthing women because my organization we well we've been um, supporting families for the last three years, and it, it, the the biggest thing that we say, we see asked over and over again is how could nobody tell me about this and that's' that's, that's quite big you know you, you you start motherhood already it's a huge life altering experience. Throw in these injuries it's you know you're really starting a huge journey with severe, in many cases, quite significant physical impairment. Now,
0: you've started a change.org petition. Can you tell me what that's all about?
1: Yeah, so we are really advocating and campaigning for pelvic health physiotherapists to support birthing women. The reason being is that right now it really is luck of the draw on those pathways to care postpartum. For some, you might, you might be recommended to see a pelvic health physiotherapist, but for many women, they bounce from health professional to health professional. They see their GP, they see their, um, maybe their care provider from the birth. They might see a gynecologist, but they don't actually get a clear practical guidance on how to effectively rehab and recover after birth. It's quite crazy when you think about it, the human body goes through the biggest you know, process that we experience giving birth to a child. And yet there's absolutely no support in how to rehab our muscles and effectively use our bodies again. So we really believe that pelvic physiotherapists should form a vital part of maternity care that's during the antenatal period and the postpartum period and we're calling for the government to to subsidize that with medicare as well because at the moment really your only way to access a quality pelvic health physio is through private health insurance that is just not possible and we want all women to be able to access it
0: and how many signatures are you aiming for well i've
1: I've got a big number a hundred thousand yes I, and and based on statistics, that should be doable. We're sitting at twenty two thousand right now, but I feel like we were kind of on the back foot because um we had. 10,000 signatures in 5 days and then the petition vanished for about 5 days and it was incredibly difficult to get it reinstated because I was thinking why did they remove it and not even tell me about it but turns out it was um you know an issue on their part so it was reinstated and it was amazing to see we got 6,000 signatures overnight after it was reinstated so that was it was pretty amazing um but yeah we've got a little way to go before I take it to the federal government and um and really start showing your stories what's amazing about this petition is we are actually you know people are commenting and saying why 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 are they signing why are they supporting this and it's just brilliant because there is power in our voices and sharing these experiences instead of suffering in silence because it is our voices that will drive change
0: well um it's very exciting and I hope that those numbers keep climbing Amy thank you so much for your time today
1: Thanks so much, Siobhan. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. That's Amy Dawes, CEO of the Australasian
0: Birth Trauma Association, and there will be a link to the change.org petition in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch,